I'm Dan Bidwell, Senior Minister here. It is great to have you in church this morning. And uh, I'm going to skip ahead a picture. It's a lovely garden. We'll think about that later on. Uh, We've been uh, thinking about the generous life. And I read this story and I have to share it with you. Um, I don't know if you know about John Wesley. Uh, He was the founder of the Methodist movement. Uh, He had this moment uh, that changed his life. He was living in Oxford. And um, John Wesley, he was, um, he was there in Oxford. He'd just finished buying some pictures for, him, for his room. And one of his chambermaids came to the door. And it was a winter day. And he noticed that she was only wearing a thin overcoat. And, uh, and she was obviously freezing cold. And so he decided he would help her. And he reached into his pocket and found very little money there. And it struck him that the Lord might not be pleased about how he was spending his money. And he asked himself, Will your master say, well done, good and faithful steward? You have adorned your walls with the money that might have screened this poor creature from the cold. O justice, O mercy. And he said to himself, are not these pictures the blood of the poor maid? There you go. And so as a result of this um, incident, um, 1731, Wesley decides to limit his expenses so that he would have more money to give to the poor. Um, That very first year, his income was 30 pounds, and his expenses were 28 pounds, and so he gave away two pounds to the poor. Uh, Well, the second year, his income had doubled, but he still lived on 28 pounds, and so this year, he was able to give 32 pounds to the poor. Well, the next year, his income jumped again to 90 pounds. By the way, wouldn't that be a nice wage rise? (laughs) But John Wesley didn't take the wage rise for himself, did he? He stayed living on 28 pounds and that year he was able to give away whatever the math answer is for 690 minus 28. Um, I don't even know what that is. 62 pounds, it's even written here. (laughs) The fourth year he makes 120 pounds and he continues to live on 28 pounds. He gives away 92 pounds to the poor. And so Wesley preached that Christians shouldn't merely tithe but they should give away all of their extra money all of their extra income once the family and creditors are taken care of. He believed that with increasing income, the Christian standard of giving should increase, not the standard of living. So don't increase your standard of living, increase your standard of giving. And he uh, began this practice at Oxford. He continued it through his life. Even when his income rose into the thousands of pounds, um, he lived simply and he quickly gave his surplus money away. One year, his income was over 1,400 pounds and he gave away everything except for the 30 pounds that he needed to live on. What an amazing story. Um, he gave out his money as soon as it came in. He was afraid of laying up treasures on earth. And um, reports said he never had more than about 100 pounds on his person or in his banks at any time. He died in 1791. And the only money mentioned in his will was the miscellaneous coins to be found in his pockets and dresser drawers. Um, He had given away almost all of the 30,000 pounds that he'd earned in his lifetime. Um, I think they said his ending salary was the equivalent of about $160,000. And he just gave it all away. Uh, He said uh, about uh, this, he said, I cannot help leaving my books behind me whenever God calls me hence. But as for everything else, uh, my own hands will be the executors of my will. Gave it all away. Well, the premise of our sermon today is all about living generously. And to live generously, we have to invest in generosity. Um, We actually have to be deliberate about it. It doesn't just happen. 
And as we're generous, it might cost us more than we estimate at the beginning, but the result will always be worth the cost. So why don't we um, ask God to teach us today about the generous life, and uh, let's start by praying. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, will you speak into our hearts by your Holy Spirit? Will you teach us to have hearts filled with generosity and to be rich in good deeds and to be thankful for everything you give us? Lord, make us a generous church, just like you are generous, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the final week of our little teaching series over the um, holidays called The Generous Life. Uh, It's been all about how to cultivate generosity. We started with the idea of contentment. Last week, we thought about the reasons why we give, which is in response to God's overwhelming grace to us. Uh, And this week, I want to get practical, very practical, a a how-to of giving, a how-to of generosity. And uh, I've got lots of ideas today, so it's a little bit more jumpy around than my sermons often are, Um, but there's still more you could say. So this is the beginning of a conversation and not the end. And um, and I've said this the last couple of weeks, to, if, you, if you're a visitor with us, uh, this is not pointed at you. Um, if you're a regular here, um, this is also not pointed at you particularly. Um, it's actually a healthy topic for church to think about because Jesus says we need to be on guard against all kinds of greed. Um, the 10th commandment reminds us not to covet all of the other stuff that people have. Uh, we need to be reminded to be generous because it's in our sinful nature to be selfish and to want to keep it all for ourselves. And so, If the Holy Spirit pricks you, uh, your conscience this morning, um, that's him and not me. Um, Maybe you need to do some business with the Lord. Um, But without further ado, let's jump into our first how-to of generosity. And the answer is, be generous. So have a look at this, what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. This is the passage to keep open today. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul's first how-to of generosity is to be generous with our generosity. Uh, Paul uh, takes us onto the farm to teach us a lesson uh, about how to be generous. He, He wants us to imagine two farmers who are ready to plant out a crop Um, perhaps it's wheat, perhaps it's canola, and the first farmer uses the bare minimum. They sow sparingly. Um, You know, the the bare minimum of seed to cover the ground, um, there's a recommended sowing rate per hectare, maybe they use a little bit less, maybe they'll take 10% out, see if it'll work out. Um, They sow sparingly, maybe they got a, a dodgy deal on some cheap seed, I don't know. But whatever they do, they think it'll be okay to stretch this out a bit thinner than usual, And the passage asks, what kind of harvest can they expect? And the answer is there, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. It's very hard to achieve a stellar result um, when you're stingy with the seeds. You can't get there if if there's not much to start with. And um, Paul, remember, he's not really talking about farming. He's talking about supplying the needs of others. That's been the thrust of this passage about collecting for the poor in Jerusalem. And so if not very much is given, then there's actually not much for the recipients to receive, is there? It's it's just math. It's simple cause and effect. If there's not much to be given, well, the other people don't get much at the other end. Little achieves little. Well, the second farmer goes out to sow, and she sows at the exact rate per hectare that is recommended uh, in well-prepared soil. She uses high-quality seeds, and because it's an analogy or a parable, the weather must have been perfect and all the rainfall, and they reap a massive harvest amazing 
her investment in the crop reaps dividends. The passage says, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And, and remember, he's not talking about farming, he's talking about giving. The greater the generosity, the greater the impact it can have. Do you think that's true? The greater the generosity, the greater the impact it can have. Um, and so think back, uh, this is what surprised me here a little bit. I was a bit confused because I was thinking about the widow last week. Do you remember she only had two coins to give? The two copper coins. Surely, if she was only able to give two coins, there would be very little impact. And yet, Jesus says she's given more than everybody else had given, even if they'd given much more. And I think that's where Paul's first how-to of generosity kicks in. So being generous with your generosity, it's all about the heart. So you can be generous by donating two copper coins, or you could be stingy even if you donated a million dollars. Depends on your income, right? But there's a way to be stingy, even if you're giving huge and huge amounts, if it's very little for you. It's the intention that, that's behind it that matters. It's what's in your heart that matters. So if you look at verse 7, Paul says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So God wants us to give out of our own free will. He doesn't want us to feel guilted into it. Um, he doesn't even want us to, be, um, to give reluctantly, you know, not to be coerced. Uh, in verse 5, just before what we read, it says, gifts shouldn't be given grudgingly. No, instead, any gift God, given in God's service is uh, in service of God king, God's kingdom. It's something we ought to be happy to give, um, it to be an amount that we've decided to give and to, to be happy with. Um, God wants us to be cheerful givers. And so this leads to that awkward question, well, how much should you give then? What's the, what's the right number? What's the right number for you? Well, the answer here is in verse 7. It's whatever you've decided to give, whatever would be generous for you. Um, I know it's not very specific. So let's think about some principles from the Bible. What does the Bible say about how much we should give? Well, the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, we find this principle of tithing or giving 10% of everything to the Lord. So in the book of Leviticus, um, it says this, it says, a tithe or a tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, that all belongs to the Lord and it's holy to the Lord. And then every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. So Leviticus imagines all of the things we have, and it says divide them, uh, and every tenth part of what you have, uh, it belongs to the Lord. Now that's one way to think about it, but just a couple of books in the Bible later, the same guy, Moses, writes this. Uh, he imagines what it will be like on the day when God's people come to the Lord they come to the temple it was before the temple at that time but on the day they come into the presence of the Lord this is what he says about the offerings that they should bring he says bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices your tithes and special gifts or what you vowed to give and your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herds and flocks and there in the presence of the Lord your God you and your family shall eat and shall rejoice in everything You've put your hand to because the Lord, your God, has blessed you. So Deuteronomy 12, it's all about acknowledging the abundance, uh, acknowledging God for the abundance 
that you have in your life. Um, you actually get to enjoy some of it in the presence of the Lord and, and gladly contributing or offering much more than just the 10% of your income as a tribute. So on top of the tithe, Moses talks about um, special gifts and free will gifts. And then on top of that, on top of the tithe at the beginning, um, your firstborn of your herds and flocks. He's actually talking about a lot more than 10% here, isn't he? Um, there's a whole lot. And so God's blessings, they're meant to be shared and enjoyed and not kind of locked up in our barns and counted as booty for ourselves. They are to be shared and enjoyed. And that's one thing I think I learned from the Americans, that, hence the picture behind the picture, uh, behind the, the, the screen. I think the Americans have their Thanksgiving holiday. And it's something that's very special to them and comes up in November to mark the end of their harvest season. Um, it's not particularly a religious holiday anymore, but it began as a religious holiday. Congress suggested that Americans stop and thank God for his many and signal favours. That's what uh, George Washington originally reported to Congress back in some year. As Australians and as Christians, do we ever stop to thank God? Do we ever stop to thank God and and? enjoy his favor and his blessings? Do we have a season or a day or a time when we do that? Um, to count our material blessings and to pause and acknowledge the Almighty. Um, do we ever stop and use that as an opportunity to, to make a free will offering to God or, or a special gift, something on top of what you normally give? Because I think it can be easy to get into a routine and, and to lose our sense of thankfulness. And perhaps saying grace at the dinner table um, has become a perfunctory prayer or a pretty thoughtless reflex. You know when you just say the same thing every day without really thinking about it, you just get through it before dinner. And perhaps your giving to church has become perfunctory or just a thoughtless reflex. And I think that's the danger we see in the New Testament. Um, the Pharisees, they were these religious rule-keeping people and they gave a tithe of everything, even their herb garden. Um, and so Jesus says to them, in Luke chapter 11, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and your rue and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. So giving 10%, it doesn't mean that our hearts are in the right place. In fact, I think the New Testament deliberately doesn't teach a tithe because I don't think the tithe is necessarily enough. It's too easy just to say, well, there's the 10%, I'm done. Um, because Jesus doesn't say, I'll give you 10% and I'm done. Jesus gives us everything, doesn't he? And how do you repay everything? Well, I guess the answer is, what? We give everything to him. I think the answer is here in the passage, we need to be generous. I'm exceedingly generous, extravagantly generous, overwhelmingly generous. I'm not sure how do you, how do you, how do you describe it. You need to be generous with your generosity. And I think that generosity looks like giving to Jesus' cause as generously as we're able. And, and that might be two copper coins for you. That's okay. Or it might be a million dollars for you. And that's okay too. If somebody wants to give a million this morning, I'm okay with that. Most of us are probably going to give somewhere in between because I don't think we have copper coins anymore. Is that right? There's a little pile of them in the office. Um, now, 
come back to the original passage because it's all about the attitude behind the gift. God wants us to be cheerful givers. And I, I guess it's like when we give presents at Christmas time, there's something about seeing the joy on the receiver's face that makes us joyful. Like we give, we give generously and we give joyfully at Christmas. And I think our giving to God's kingdom should come with that same spirit of generosity and joy. So that's the first how-to of generosity. Um, be generous with your generosity. Um, second idea is not so much a how-to, but a who-to. Who do we give to? What does the Bible say about where we should give our money uh, and our generosity and our time? Well, one of the clues is here in our passage uh, in verses 8 and 9. It says this, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times... Having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. As it's written, they've freely scattered their gifts to the poor, and their righteousness endures forever. So Paul teaches us that when we're generous, God actually gives us what we need, not for ourselves, but so that we can do good works. His abundant blessings allow us to abound in blessing others. His abundant blessings to us mean we can bless others abundantly. And the first group that he identifies here are the poor. So this little poem at the end there, um, it's a quote from Psalm 112. We read that earlier. And that's a psalm about God blessing his people so that we can be a blessing to the world. And that's a biblical theme. Blessing through God's people will come to all of the world. And one way that we bless the world is by blessing those who are in need. And God's criticism, uh, sorry, Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees was that they'd actually neglected justice and love in their narrow-minded vision of giving. So their giving was probably about making themselves feel good rather than looking after others. But in 2 Corinthians, we see that giving to the poor is actually linked with righteousness. Um, not, that, not that our giving earns us righteousness. Rather, I think it's that those who are in a right relationship with the Lord see the world the way that God sees it. See, God longs to wipe away every tear. He longs to release the captives and bring justice to the world. And that means the poor are fed and society doesn't turn their back on them. And I wonder, is that what we're known for as a church? Is that what this church, Robbo, stands for? And if it's not, how can we show the love of Jesus in practical ways, both to those far away, but also those in our local community? Um, I was at Synod a few weeks ago. Synod is the um, kind of the parliament for the Anglican Church, the Sydney Anglican Church, this one was. And there was a report given called Hungry or Homeless, um, Tough Choices in a Cost of Living Crisis. Um, and the premise was this. Um, there are people living in Sydney today, this very day, who make choices about whether to pay the rent and keep a home, a, a, a roof over their heads or feed the children. That's a hard choice to make, isn't it? Do you go hungry but stay in your home or do you eat but have to, to go homeless? That's a tough choice to make. And um, the report urged people like us, church members, to write to our federal and state MPs and, and, and ask them to do something about this cost of living crisis. Ask them to fortify the social, um, the social welfare safety net and, and to increase the supply of public housing and things like that. Um, I haven't written to the members yet about that but I'm planning to but maybe that's something you could do to ask the government to help with the poor um, but that's the government right what about the church well we're reminded at Synod of the great work that Anglicare does and um, providing support to the poorest in our society and, and in aged care facilities and in prisons and in hospitals um, I know that uh, 
the churches at Mossvale and Mittagong both have Anglicare food pantries. And I wonder, should we be doing that here in Robertson? Um, why aren't we doing that here in Robertson? I'm not sure. And I'm not sure quite how you get started, but I'm sure if enough of you come to me and say, we want to get behind this, then we could, we could make that happen. So that people facing those tough choices in Robertson can come to the church. They can come to Jesus for help. Um, and uh, by the way, the church through Anglicare is providing practical help in many ways. But as we evaluate our giving, maybe you could think about giving to Anglicare. There are lots of other agencies too that do the same kind of work, some overseas, some nearby, Compassion, Tear Fund, UNHCR. They're all great. But I think the point is this, we, we need to consider how are we looking after the poor in our society. That's one place we can give our money. Second is to give to the local church and particularly um, to give to those who minister amongst us. Uh, in another book of the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul writes this, he says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while he's treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Uh, so in the Old Testament, the Levites, they were the tribe designated to serve at the temple and they were the priests and they did all of the other jobs uh, involved in maintaining the temple. Well, they lived by receiving the tithes that the people brought to the temple. Um, that's how God supplied the needs of those set aside in his service. Uh, when you come to the New Testament, Paul takes the same principle to say that those who minister amongst us also ought to receive an income from the tithes of the people. Um, and so back in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, um, if we've sown spiritual seed amongst you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? It's that sowing and reaping idea again, isn't it? Um, I just want to stop and say, on behalf of myself and my family, I thank you for your generosity in allowing me to be set apart for the work of preaching and teaching. And um, actually, I'm... I'm I know many, many ministers receive a smaller income than I receive, so thank you for your generosity. I, I genuinely do appreciate it. And uh, what that means is enormous. Um, I do just want to say something about Beck. Um, is she still here? There she is. Um, I don't know if you know this, but our kids and youth benefit enormously from the ministry of Beck Glasson, our youth and kids minister. And uh, I'm so grateful to have her on staff. Um, she's currently employed part-time, uh, but I would love for us to pray as a church and consider whether we can move back from part-time to full-time. Um, that's a discussion we've been having at Parish Council uh, and we'll be praying about it as we draw up the budget for 2024. But we can't do that unless there's a significant increase in our giving to church. Uh, we can't fit it in the budget right now, not by a long shot. Um, I'm going to embarrass Beck for just another moment more, but I want you to know that the Lord is doing amazing things through our dear sister. I genuinely, if you don't know that, um, I was talking to some other churches um, when I was down at Synod, um, and there are churches in Sydney in very population-dense areas, much more dense than Robbo and, and the Highlands, and they are envious of us, envious of our youth group. You know, 30 kids on a Friday night, there are tons of churches in Sydney who that would be the dream. They have 8, 10, 12 kids coming. And here we are in Little Robbo, and there's 30 kids on a Friday night. Don't take that for granted. God is doing amazing things through Beck. She's, uh, God is using Beck and the youth who are coming to Ribs in ways that will have an eternal harvest. And so what do we invest in as a church? 
I want to say if we're so generously, what more might God do at harvest time? Third place to be generous to is uh, missionary partners. Paul was the very first missionary. Uh, he took the gospel all over Asia and Europe, and uh, he was partly funded by his work as a tent maker, uh, but also he was uh, funded in the end by some of the churches that he planted. Many of them became what he called partners in the gospel. They prayed for him, they cared for him in practical ways, but they also took up a collection to help pay for his work. Uh, as a church, we are partners in the gospel with CMS, the Church Missionary Society. Um, CMS sends missionaries all over the world um, in all kinds of positions as church planters and pastors and campus university workers and ministry trainers, uh, but they're all evangelists. They all, they all want to see a world that knows Jesus. And um, we are linked particularly to Michael and Rani Grievous Allison uh, and their son Alexi. They're currently serving in Belgium They've been there for six months now. Um, they're learning French at the moment, but the long-term plan is that they'll be working on a university campus with GBU, uh, a campus uh, fellowship. Um, I had a Zoom with them a couple of weeks ago. They're doing really well. Um, uh, they don't get to do their campus work right now because they still have to learn the language to be effective. But um, apparently Brussels, where they are, is the most multicultural city in the world. And so as part of their language learning classes, they've actually had the opportunity to share the gospel with people from all over the world um, who, who may stay in Belgium or go back. So you never know the impact that just having them there, even for this time of learning language, is going to have on God's kingdom. It's amazing. Now we've supported, uh, we've committed to supporting these guys uh, at least for three years. Um, this is the first year of their term. Uh, sorry, uh, second year of their term. Currently, um, I don't know if you know how it works here, um, we don't give to Michael and Rani from the general offertory. So we don't uh, separate out a portion. We give to Michael and Rani what you guys give to Michael and Rani. So if somebody puts it in an envelope or in their online payment says this is for CMS or for Michael and Rani, that gets sent to these guys. So last year, uh, as a church, we gave uh, gifts totaling $3,163. Thank you for your generosity. That's amazing. Um, the budget to put a, mis a missionary couple like this on the field for the year, it's either 120000 or 150000 I can't remember which of the two. But obviously our 3163 is not going to be enough to support even one-seventh. So there are seven churches that support Michael and Rani. So I'd love to see that number growing. Um, would you consider supporting Michael and Rani as our missionary partners? Um, as I said, you can give. I will send a link uh, to be able to sign up, uh, not only to give, but to receive their prayer points. Wouldn't it be great to get to know them more and more, to hear their prayer points, and to commit to them as friends and as partners, not just as somebody we give a little bit of money to. Uh, so that's our second, how to give. Um, give to the needy, give to gospel workers, give to missionaries. Um, and we're almost at the end. I know this has been an unusual sermon for us. You know, normally I get a Bible passage and I work through it a bit more. But um, we've kind of done that today. We've had some lengthy excursions. Um, to finish, we're going to come back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because Paul teaches us one more how to have generosity. And, and this, is, this is what's a tricky one for me. I think it's, how do you trust that what you're giving is the right thing to give to? Well, how do you know that it's going to have a good effect? Um, and so I'm going to take you to the Shark Tank to start with. Has anybody seen this show, The Shark Tank? At 8 o'clock, I had a very low response rate. Can you put hands up to show me? Yeah, that's it. If we're in America, I'd say, give me an amen. amen. 
I don't know if you can get an amen for Shark Tank. The premise is this, uh, aspiring entrepreneurs, they come to visit the sharks, um, these wealthy investors, um, and if the sharks like the product that they pitch, then the sharks offer to make an investment in the business. Um, Has anybody been on Shark Tank here? Good. Um, I won't embarrass myself by saying anything. Um, Sometimes the products pitched are terrible. There was a guy who um, wanted to create electricity by artificially generating tornadoes and capturing the energy in like a glass bubble or something to create, I don't even know, that did not get invested in. Um, uh, sometimes the sharks invest and they make lots of money. And in fact, the history has shown generally they're successful because these guys know what to invest in. Sometimes the uh, sharks miss their opportunity for a great investment. You know those doorbells that uh, have a ring on them and there's a camera and you can see who's at your door on your telephone? Do you know that, the ring door cameras? Um, the sharks passed. That was actually pitched, first of all, on the shark tank. And no sharks made a deal on that one. A couple of years later, the guy sold the ring cameras to Amazon for a billion dollars. <laughs> Missed the boat, sharks. Well, when it comes to generosity, how do you know who to invest it in? And how can you trust that it's going to have the desired effect? Well, our Bible passage says that when we invest generously in God's kingdom, it's always going to result in a good return. Have a look at uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and he'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So when we invest in God's kingdom, we can trust that the God who gives us everything will give us everything we need. And it's interesting here, do you notice that God doesn't uh, enrich us so that we become rich? He doesn't enrich us so that you know, we end up with bigger barns. He enriches us so that we can share. He gives us material blessings so that we can bless others so that we can be generous on every occasion. Um, We don't sow generously to reap a generous harvest for ourselves. We're investing so that we can see God's kingdom grow, so that people have a chance to meet Jesus and, and to find eternal life rather than the temporary pleasures of this world. We invest so that people will see the generosity of God through his people, through his church. We invest so that people will see the sacrificial love of Jesus through the sacrificial love of his church as we give. Um, Our generosity, it says here, will result in thanksgiving to God and and praise to God. So I just want to finish by asking you this. What does generosity look like for you? Um, God has been prompting me in my prayers this morning. This came up. I don't know that I've ever prayed a prayer for generosity, but in my prayer notes, this came up this morning. I'm going to read it to finish let's pray dear lord of the harvest thank you for the money that you've made me responsible for i'm sorry for clutching tight to what i have and i'm sorry for coveting more give me trustful contentment help me to use my money to further your kingdom and to benefit others thank you that my worth is not defined by my wealth may my spending in all areas of my life be motivated by doing what you've deemed good May I ask you daily, how can I be extravagantly, ferociously generous here? 
Please give me eyes that look for opportunities to use money to serve you. I commit myself to being open and honest with my finances. All that I have is yours eternally. Amen.